0: Gregory, my, my mate. Guys, we're doing an incredible series at the moment on the kingdom. Um, I'd like you to open up your hearts wide to receive from Greg this morning and just before as I, I pray for him. But I, I just want to land this, guys. Sometimes in the way that we preach, some of it is practical, some of it is application, but I, I ask that you would please, just in this season, just be patient with us as we're laying, <coughs> excuse me, a foundation. Sometimes there is some theological academic stuff that we need to lay in order for us to be able to build on top of. We've got to lay a foundation. And sometimes it is chunky. It is in depth. Um, We're raising up people into maturity here. So I'd ask that you'd open up your heart. Father God, I pray your blessing over Greg this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would anoint his words, lead him and guide him in all wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shot Nick, thank you so much. Here's your phone, buddy. All right, man. Um, yeah, and like a good dad, I hope to stretch you a little bit, but uh, I promise that it'll be um, easy to digest. Uh, I feel like the Lord has led me on this um, incredible journey the last sort of two years or so, um, and you know the the studies that Ryan and I have been doing. Many of you know that we've been attacking our masters has informed so much of what it is I'm going to be sharing. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm going to do my very best to unpack this for you in 30 minutes, but in a way that's going to help you see the big picture. Because really that's what I'm wanting to leave you with uh, at this juncture in the series, is the big picture. And the big picture is Jesus. Okay, so although I'm going to be concentrating on the Old Testament prophets, the big picture is Jesus. Okay? And those of you who were with me uh, with us last week, we'll remember that I, I made mention of how when we read Old Testament, we must remember that uh, it's, it's or, or keep in mind the, the lens, if you like, of Old Testament expectation, New Testament fulfillment. Old Testament expectation. So everything that we're reading in the Old Testament is a precursor leading up to the person of Christ Jesus. And everything that we see in his, uh, in his life, His death, His resurrection and ascension, is the pinnacle of the story. But then there is a story to come thereafter. Have Jesus having fulfilled what all of the Old Testament was pointing to, we now are looking at what the church's role okay? is to be thereafter. Jesus having fulfilled and initiated, having, having brought the kingdom to planet earth, in, in everything that he said and did, and then uh, how we are to, as his followers, work that out, right? So the hard work really is going to be, be me keeping this to 35 minutes, but I'll, I'll do that, okay? I want to honor that. So I've got a little timer going and um, a very full desk. So for those of you who don't know me, Greg's my name, and uh, it's such a privilege to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Right, just two things before I dive straight in, and I I feel like it's really important off the back of what was so beautifully coming through in the worship. We were singing about the marriage of the Lamb, and we were singing about how we love His name. So I just want to do two things really quickly. The first thing is, I felt God say to me, you know, when you're at the altar and you're going to get married, you, you face one another and you say, I do, to everything that the minister is sort of reading over you in the witness of every you know uh, you know in the witness of many attendants we say i do and i felt like for some of us we're okay with saying i do to jesus but to say i do to jesus means you have to say i do to his body yeah and i don't to others yeah exactly So don't fall into the trap of thinking that you can operate as a lone ranger. All right? Yes, Jesus, but Jesus was very clear and still is very clear that the way that the kingdom is outworked is in community. You can't say I do to Christ and I don't to the church. You can't do that. You just can't do that. No matter how imperfect, annoying, frustrating, messy, and messed up the church might be, it has to be both. All right? God, thank you, Lord, for your grace. He is working it in us to become more like Him. But it is a community of imperfect people who, praise Jesus, are led by a perfect God. All right? The second thing I wanted to do was just read and remind us of what, Derek Morphew tells us about the name. The name of Jesus, or the name of God as revealed in Exodus. If I could find it now. Gosh, no. Beg your pardon. Can I push pause on my timer? Ah, oh, I've lost it doesn't matter. Okay, Lord, let's move on. Turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, it's uh, the second volume, if you like, from the author Luke, Dr. Luke. And uh, he was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, and he wrote two outstanding, uh, I'm not sure I'm allowed to have favorites, but uh, you know... I love the gospel of Luke and and the second volume if you like is is the is the acts of the apostles but I just want to read from verse 1 to verse 5 and then I'll I'll keep speaking it says in my former book from verse 1 Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the holy spirit to the apostles he had chosen So just, we see there that Jesus began something that the church was to continue. Jesus began something that we are to continue. And the gospel is not simply about your and my salvation. That is a piece of the puzzle that fits into the grander narrative that is the gospel of the kingdom. If you think the gospel is just about the ticket to heaven that you get when you say yes to Jesus, I have... Another story coming for you. You're going to be maybe a little bit offended with me. It is not all about your ticket to heaven. All right? If that was the case, then when you were baptized, we should have just held you under and kept you there. Because then you get to go to heaven and that's it. Why do we come out of the water? Because we are called to something. Friends, we're washed clean. Right? Mags? Hey, sorry, that's naughty of me, isn't it? Okay, I, I, I must make sure I preach what I'm supposed to preach. So the kingdom of God, friends, is understood through Israel's history, all of the Old Testament, that expectation that was building and building and building and building. And I'm going to get to when I touch on the prophets in a moment. It is understood through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension, and it must also be understood as a now and future event. Jesus began it, but there is also more to come, and it will it'll find its culmination, its, its end, so to speak, in the second coming, when Christ returns. Amen? All right, so this is important, and we need to apply this stuff to our lives, okay? And I'll get there. I'm trusting for the Holy Spirit to really speak to me and to maybe uh, divert me if He sees fit. But, but we know that the kingdom of God is evident in our lives when God's presence is prized. This is all stuff that I said last week. And I'm going to say it again because essentially it doesn't. the message has not changed. God's presence is prized. He is ruling and reigning in the midst of His people. According to His covenant with us, by the power of the Spirit, okay? Where we will see the gifts of the Spirit in operation as He rules through the church, which is a church on mission, okay? That is the kingdom. That is the kingdom. I know that Alexander touched on it, and I think I read it somewhere as well, and a lot of what I'm speaking on, I need to honor and give credit to Alexander and also to Derek Morphew, because they've really help me frame in my own thinking, uh, and I'm hope, I hope I'm going to do a good job here, Alexander, but, you know, what the kingdom of God is about. It's kind of like, I feel like I'm singing a U2 song in front of the band, you know. Um, but, uh, it, you know, be that as it may, I'll do my very best. But So, I, yeah, I'm having fun, yeah. Let's have some fun. So, I ended last week, all right, with the encouragement And you can just jot this down or go back and listen to this. It's being recorded. If you're just feeling like there's too much coming at you, that's okay. Go back and do what Jill Fenton said to me that she was doing last week. She would listen to someone and push pause and go and read the Scriptures. I really encourage you to do that. You want to handle you know, for, for, um, for the next week, month, and years of your life? Go and watch the recordings of what is preached and push pause and jot down a few things and let Holy Spirit speak to you. Don't just come away from the Sunday morning and be like, wow, that was a great message. But by the time you've sat down to your roast or toast, you know, it's been in one ear and out the other. That's not what we're aiming for. Certainly, it's not the hearts of this church. Anybody that stands up here to preach, we want you guys to feel like you're inspired, but you're equipped and you're given handles to help you go and live out the kingdom. Because as we're going to see, it's for each and every single one of us to be agents and uh, um, promoters, if you like, of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. All right. So the three things that I was touching on last week is we see that we want to have a heart like David had, prizing the presence of God. We want to pursue the wisdom of Jesus, Solomon being the prototype of Christ, who, as Colossians tells us, in Jesus is all wisdom and understanding. So Solomon was a prototype, as was David. David of Jesus, foreshadowing Messiah to come. And we are to embrace the peace of God. Okay, if you remember that. So metaphorically represented in scripture by Israel having peace on all sides under the Davidic monarchy, under David and Solomon's rule, the pinnacle of of God's kingdom over Israel in their history was, was experienced by the nation under David and Solomon. But there is in Jesus, a greater peace that we can live by. it's not just having peace on all sides, it's walking and living with that internal peace that can come only by the Spirit. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that surpasses all understanding, the condition of our hearts. It's critical. How do, we, how do we find this peace? I felt the Lord challenged me just to share this with you before I go into what I want to say on the prophets. Eliminate distraction from your lives. And by eliminating distraction, I don't mean sitting around and doing nothing. But I do mean giving your attention to what really matters most. All right, And if you go and read Philippians chapter 4, write that down, go and have a look for yourself. Paul says something, it's, 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 such a, it's been such a wonderful handle for me to stay on course in my life. Because what I'm going to describe here, everything of that is wrapped up in Christ. And I'm going to get to the prophets now, I promise. I just needed to say this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what we focus on. What are you giving your attention to? How do you stay close to the Father? How do you stay attuned to the voice of Holy Spirit? You give your attention to those things. And you don't let the distraction of the world and the little um, uh, sort of... uh, Whispers of the enemy draw you away from the truth that God is speaking to you by His Spirit as you go into His Word, as you spend time alone. God said this to me at the beginning of the year, create silence for yourself. I was reading a book, and He said, don't try and do anything, just create silence. Yes, moments of actual silence, but certainly a, a, a peace where your mind isn't feeling like it's running away with you. Because when you have the spirit in you, you're at peace. But you've got to, like that radio, dial yourself into what is being said. You need to turn the, the knobs and get the right frequency. And you get the right frequency by paying attention to what Paul's writing about here in Philippians 4. Okay? That was for free. Is this all right? I also want to say this, church. Because we're talking about the Old Testament in terms of expectation of what is to come in Christ and with New Testament its fulfillment, very often I would read, for example, I'm just going to be honest with you, the stories of David and put myself in David's shoes. That's, I felt God challenged me on that and I, I feel like it's the wrong way to look at it. David is the prototype Christ. I am the stone in his hand that gets put in the sling that Jesus then swings and slays the giant. We are not the protagonists in the story. We are the tools in His hand. There is a secondary narrative. Yes, we have giants to face. But if we make the primary thing about the story we are reading about ourselves, oh yes, I'm the David, I'm the Solomon, I'm the Abraham, I'm the Moses. You're not. Jesus It's Jesus. Everything is the Old Testament expectation building up to Christ. Okay? Are you with me? Let's get to the prophets. There are five prophets that are essentially beautiful commentators on the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm going to Spend a little bit of time on the first three, and then more time on the last two. The first three are Habakkuk, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. The last two are and Daniel. The two Isaiah and Daniel are the, the two most important for uh, the life and what we read in the New Testament in terms of Jesus' mission and his message. He quoted Isaiah the most and his favorite. Um, self-designated title was Son of Man, which comes from the book of Daniel. But I just want to very quickly paint an expectation from the prophetic voice that we see in Scripture that points to Christ. Okay, Remember, we're laying the foundations, the framework for what we're going to be going after further down this series. All right, so I, I trust and I'm hoping that as we mature together in this, you're going to go home and you're going to search this stuff out for yourself. You'll have a lot of fun. Okay? You'll have a lot of fun, I promise. So Habakkuk, essentially the context is we see with this prophet, Israel is an apostasy, all right? They're in a bad way. They've turned from God. But Habakkuk remembers the Exodus. And if you go to Habakkuk chapter 3, you'll read about how he uh, is essentially saying to the Lord, you know, everything that you have done, he's he's making these declarations of everything that took place in the Exodus account which Ryan so beautifully uh, opened up for us a couple weeks back. And then what is he saying? To put it into our everyday language, do it again, Lord. Do it again. He is looking back to what God has done, and he's saying, do it again. That is essentially what you can uh, glean from Habakkuk. He has this understanding that God's kingdom once broke into the nation of Israel, into their lives. It was... It was present. There was a confrontation. The demon powers were conquered and dealt with. Egypt was given more than a black eye. All right? And, and Habakkuk is saying, do it again for your nation, Lord. Remember and do it again. Specific uh, that I want us to take away from, from this particular prophet is how he, he will go in. Um, let, me, let me quickly turn there because um, if I can find this little book because it's so little you can flip past it so quickly i just want to read this guy's heart was amazing because he oh there it is thank you lord he faced he faced um or he was living with real questions man real real questions and was struggling listen to what he says here in verse 16 um i heard and my heart pounded my lips quivered at the sound decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled this guy's in a bad way Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He has great hope in his Lord. Great hope. Because he knows that God is faithful to Israel. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. If you can learn anything from Habakkuk, it's in spite of what you are facing and going through. Keep your eyes fixed. Look back to what God has done, and he is faithful to do it again. All right. The second prophet is uh, Jeremiah. And essentially, what I want to say about Jeremiah is he is speaking quite clearly on a new Davidic king to come. All right a new covenant that will be established, that will deal with the, 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 the condition of the human heart, giving us a new heart, a new covenant. That is what the book of Jeremiah is essentially alluding to. Similarly, it's a, a, a season of incredible um, difficulty and trial, uh, and Israel are in a bad way. They've made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Um, And for both Habakkuk and uh, and Jeremiah, and sorry, for Ezekiel as well, you know, it it is the season of exile. It is the season of God having departed, in a sense, feeling like, you know, what is going on? But it's been of their own making. God warned them. God gave them the truth. God said, turn, 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 come back to me, and they would not listen. And so Jeremiah, if I'm not mistaken, I think he sometimes is referred to as the weeping prophet. Is that right? Because his heart was just so completely broken over the nation of Israel. But God still brought hope. God still brought hope in and through him. Jeremiah was the the beginnings of a new king is coming, a new Davidic king, a new covenant that will deal with the inner condition of our hearts. Then we see Ezekiel, third prophet. And he is talking about a future kingdom that will transcend the past kingdom. It will go... Beyond what we've seen already up to this point. All right? And the key themes that he touches on are, as I've, as I've spoken about in the past, the presence. He starts to reiterate um, and, and uh, remind Israel of the Davidic monarchy, the promises made to David, but also speaking about the new covenant to come. But the one that is really key in Ezekiel is the presence God's presence. And um, there's so much rich imagery and symbolism in Ezekiel that you can come away from that book feeling, for lack of a better expression, you feel a little bit trippy. It's, you know, it's this, the Ark of the Covenant resting on this chariot that moves like at the speed of light and it's got eyes all over it and it's like, it's, it's, there's the glory and it's, it's just incredibly strange imagery for to our western way of thinking all right but what god is essentially saying in the book of ezekiel is that he is omnipresent he is omniscient he is holy okay because in this book we see that there is a tremendous zeal for the for his name god has an incredible zeal for his name we were just singing about that this morning Okay, we love your name. I think I remembered where that quote was. Let me read it. nope Lord, come on man let me let me find that let me oh yeah, here it is. thank you jesus Yes yes, all right so I'm gonna read this because. The zeal for God's name. When God gives His name, He is telling you who He is. It's His character. So Yahweh, whenever you see a capitalized L-O-R-D in your NIV Bible, I'm not sure about the others, that's the one I use, but it's, it's using the term Yahweh, right? The divine name. It means I was, I am, and I will be. From generation to generation. The becoming present one. There is a process happening here of him becoming increasingly present. Coming down into the situation of man to deliver and transform from bondage to liberty. That name God is extremely zealous for. He has a great passion that we understand exactly who he is and what he is like. And that comes out in the book of Ezekiel. Alright, so let's get to the, the two big heavy hitters for the sake of Time, Isaiah. As I said before, Isaiah quoted him the most. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Jesus quoted Isaiah the most. In his, uh, in the Gospels, we see that in Scripture. Okay, what was recorded? And Alexander Fencer has this uh, beautiful panoramic, as he calls it, the Armex broad picture of everything that Isaiah covers. In, in that entire book. It is profound and I'm going to give you a very brief summation, but go and read this book, but keep it within the lens of what I'm saying here. And, and again, remember what, I've, what I said earlier, think Jesus, because that's the point of everything that the prophets are, are, are foretelling. They're essentially pointing to the one to come. Bearing in mind, they didn't really know what they were speaking to necessarily. They didn't have the full picture. New Testament... Era, we have the, the wonderful benefit of hindsight. We can transpose that back and see, oh, that's talking about Christ. But these guys, in their obedience, were making incredible declarations centuries before Jesus set foot on the planet. So, the first point God will come to save his people. Okay? A new Davidic king would come bringing righteousness and justice, not just for Israel but for all nations, for the Gentiles as well. Isaiah spoke of the coming of the Spirit. And in speaking about the coming of the Spirit and the approaching uh, Davidic Messiah King that would come, he is, without using the word Trinity, he is describing the triune God. Yahweh coming to save His people that Davidic king, accompanied by the the spirits outpouring. The key word that we would use when we sum up the book of Isaiah is salvation. Salvation. Where under the Davidic monarchy, thanks Nick, where under the Davidic monarchy, we, we read about shalom. And shalom I just want to find that little note I had here. Shalom is speaks of being safe, whole, sound, living in prosperity. It's multidimensional well being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. That's what it means to be living in shalom, the peace of God. Salvation, that word there as well, is a it's not just getting saved, rescued, so to speak. It's being whole, it's being healed. It's being well-rounded or multidimensional. It's 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 body, soul, and spirit, and it's all encompassing. So Isaiah is, is taking what we see under David, the shalom that was over Israel, and he's saying, There is more. Okay? In Isaiah's book, we're exposed or we, we are introduced in a sense or we are, we are re-exposed to God in His glory. The King bringing justice. Sounds like Jesus to me. The Spirit in abundance. Sounds like what happened at the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. That was, what, that was for the church, for the people of God, to go and continue the work that Jesus began. It speaks of forgiveness, healing, liberation, joy, resurrection, a new international people of God, the new Jerusalem, a new order, final judgment, the day of the Lord. Jesus, 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 Jesus Jesus oozes out of Isaiah. He is all over that book. And He was, I'm not even sure how many centuries before, I think seven or 800 years before Christ was on the scene in His bodily form, walking the dust of the earth Isaiah was speaking into all of these things, reminding Israel, it's not just about you, but there is something to come for all of mankind. Isn't that beautiful? I find that beautiful. If, you, if you're taking notes, write these scriptures down that are specifically describing, uh, as Alexander taught us a while ago, um, are, he used the phrase, The song of the suffering servant, or the songs of the suffering servant. Isaiah 42, verse 1 to 4. Isaiah 49, verse 1 to 6. Isaiah 50, verse 4 to 7. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Isaiah 49, 1 to 6. Isaiah 50 verse 4 to 7 and Isaiah 52 verse 13 to to, uh, 53 verse 12. Isaiah, that last one, Isaiah 52 verse 13, essentially to chapter 53 verse 12. It's not as much as you think it is. Is that right, Alexander? Do I have that correct? And you cannot help... With the New Testament hindsight that we all have as believers in Christ Jesus, look back and say that that is my Christ. That is Jesus right there. It is incredible. It is beautiful. It's the Book of Isaiah, and also you know Jesus quotes Isaiah sixty-one in Luke four eighteen. He quotes Isaiah sixty-one, kind of his opening, one of his opening sort of mission statements in a sense. Um, setting free captives, opening the eyes of the blind, etc., etc., etc. It's beautiful stuff. How much t- for time? Are we doing okay? Are we okay? Are you guys all right? I'm going really quickly, I know that. But um, the last prophet is essentially Daniel. It is Daniel. And uh, as I said earlier, in the book of Daniel, we see this, this incredible... Uh, figure that the book describes as Son of Man. Now, Jesus' favorite self designation, as I said, was Son of Man, and it really used to get uh, the religious authorities uh, annoyed, to say the least, because they understood what he was talking about. They didn't like it, because Son of Man was not Jesus saying, I identify with mankind. Son of Man was a messianic statement. He was saying, in effect, I am God come in human flesh. And we see it, it caused quite the uproar and ultimately resulted in Jesus being crucified. But it was his favorite self-designation. You're going to read it throughout Scripture. Scripture. Just two specific chapters in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, which essentially is this really interesting, uh, this imagery of a statue made up of multiple different sort of elements and this heavenly rock or mountain or stone that comes and obliterates it. And essentially what that chapter is describing is how man's kingdoms, past, present, future, have been, will be, obliterated by a heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God. Okay, so that is essentially what Daniel chapter 2 is describing. But then Daniel chapter 7 is where we are introduced to this heavenly pre-existent human figure coming to destroy the kingdoms of men and set up God's eternal kingdom. And he is described as the Son of Man. This figure has both an individual and a corporate nature. And I'm going to read out of Daniel to explain what I mean by that. This is thanks to Derek Morphew. It absolutely got me so excited when I read it. Because listen to this. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. But that's, that's the Son of Man in singular. Okay, He, He, He. Listen to this. Daniel 7 verse 18. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever yes forever and ever so it goes from the individual to a people receiving the kingdom verse just to back it up verse 27 says something similar then the sovereignty power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the most high his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him back to the singular Jesus, as the Son of Man, okay, as an individual, but is also representing humanity, it's both and at the same time. That is profound. Why is that profound, Greg? Because, listen to this, when Paul writes about Adam, in Romans chapter 5, speaking about how in Adam all have sinned. If you don't believe me, you can go and read it. I don't have time to go there now, but Romans chapter 5, basically from verse 12 to verse 19. Paul says, Adam in his individuality was the husband of Eve, yes, but he has as a representative of all humankind, because Adam sinned, all sinned. Are you tracking with me? He has the beautiful picture. We see right now, out of, uh, as I've just read, out of Daniel, Jesus in his, as an individual, He is the supreme human. Yes. Worthy of worship. Yes. We don't worship ourselves. That's not what I'm saying. But He is representing humanity. Okay? In the same way that Adam represented humanity. And that's why Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Because in the same way that sin came in through the world and death through sin to all humanity through Adam, in the one man Jesus, we see all of humanity being included in what Christ did because He is representative of us all, those that would choose to follow Him. Obviously some reject that notion and have you know want nothing to do with Him. But let me just read this. The individual husband of Eve and representative of humanity fell and therefore we all fell. Okay, But in Jesus, the Son of Man, the last Adam, all humanity is represented. And therefore in Him we are redeemed. We fall in Adam. We are redeemed in Jesus. A heavenly humanity emerges. Living temples... Housing his spirit. There's that kingdom language again that was unfolded and unpacked for us. The tabernacle language in Exodus. uh, The temple language in Genesis. The Davidic Solomon uh, monarchy. That language is all coming back here. In choosing Jesus, Adam falls off. But we've got to make that choice daily in a sense. Picking up our cross. Following him doing what Paul encourages us in Philippians 4, giving our attention to the things that are pointing to Jesus. And friends, I don't know how to land this, except to say, in laying the groundwork for all that has gone before, or or, sorry, in partnership with all that has gone before, looking at the Old Testament Scriptures, I want you to come away from these last few weeks, excited about these books that if you just, with New Testament hindsight, take the time to dive in, you will see Jesus clear as day. And if you have questions or if you need help finding resources, Ryan, myself, Nick, Alexander, there are a whole lot of folk around here, you know, Jen, Tazzy, goodness, there are plenty. We will be glad to point you in the right direction. We have got to do this homework for ourselves. Future drummer on the way. But I'll just, I just am so excited when I get into the prophets because they are foreshadowing something that, is for, that, is, that we have stepped into because Jesus has come and fulfilled so much already of what was spoken, of course, but there is still more to be done. We are in the last days, friends. The last days began when Jesus announced His arrival on planet Earth, and they haven't finished. We've been in them for about 2,000 and some change years. That might sound kind of weird to you and I, but actually it's the truth. We are in the last days. All right? We've been in them for a long time already. Okay. But when you go and look at the prophets, ask Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Show me Jesus, because that's... He is now where we are going to be going. And Israel are about to enter into a 400-year period of silence before Jesus comes onto the scene. All right? 400 years of not hearing from God, not a single prophetic utterance. And then He's going to arrive on the scene. Thank the Lord that the church doesn't live with God being silent over us. He is always speaking all the time but we have got to give our attention to what he is saying. We have got to plumb the depths of what his word says and get ourselves back to hearing. Some of us might become like the prophets of old. I I don't know. But if you have the word of God, you can be declaring prophetically because essentially prophecy is declaring the word of God. So you've got all of this to draw on and to speak life over one another to speak life over our nation, over our neighbors, over our families, over the nations that we feel called to, over the nations that we as a church are partnering with. The church, Guys, let's get, you know, let's get on board with what Jesus is doing and the story that God is telling. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm done. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a a yes people, an I do people. Wonderful to sing about the marriage of the Lamb. And like the bridegroom who is expectant for the bride to walk down the aisle and sees everything that has been put in place, everything that has been prepared, everything that has been laid out and as the bride, in getting prepared, is expectant to look upon her beloved for the first time, dressed to the nines, awaiting her arrival. Lord, we live with expectation, like the prophets lived with expectation, understanding that there was a bigger story, Lord, that You are telling. And Father, while we know that so much of what was foretold in the Old Testament has been fulfilled, there is, so, there is still something to come. There is still more to happen. And You are calling us into a space as Your church Freedom House, here on the little old north coast town of Belito slash Salt Rock. Lord, we want to say yes. We want to say I do to you, Jesus. And we want to say I do to the call that you have on our lives. And we want to say I do to each other. Because Lord, the, the story is not about me, myself, and I. It is about you. The gospel of the kingdom is a story about King Jesus. The kingship of God ruling and reigning by the power of His Spirit over His people so that the nations would be attracted, that they would pay attention when we speak. Like the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and was, had her mind blown because of all that she saw. This is what it looks like when a nation is under the rule and reign of Almighty God. Lord, let your church rise up once more to make those declarations, to be people that are speaking your truth in love, showing the nations what you are like, showing our neighbors what you are like. The the nations essentially are on our doorstep. Lord, help us, God. Help us, Lord. We need you. We need you. We love you, Father. We thank you for the prophetic words that went forth all those millennia ago, foretelling and raising our expectation, raising the expectation of Israel. We live with that expectation even now. We know that there is a here but not yet element to your kingdom. But Lord, we say yes to you, and we want to be on this journey with you. And all God's children, in Jesus' name, say amen, amen, amen. Outstanding, Gregory. We just wanted to thank you for all the time and the effort and the preparation that you put into that. It really was an outstanding word.